please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning we will consider two passages, so make sure you put your finger in both of them. First, we will consider Matthew 28 in verses 19 and 20. And then we will consider Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. And today we begin what could be called a mini-series within our greater series on worship. We move from looking at the non-sacramental elements of worship in a general sense to now considering those sacramental elements in a greater detail. And so with that in mind, give your attention now to the reading of the infallible Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 28 and also Matthew chapter 26. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Thus far the reading of God's Word, let us now ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we do ask Your blessing upon the reading of this Word as it has gone forth. We pray, Lord, that it would never return void. We pray that as... uh, a farmer spreads its seeds that this gospel would go forth and be spread forth as seeds and planting in the hearts of those who have heard it. And Lord, we do pray for Your blessing upon the hearing of it as well, that it would not just be a vain listening, but it would be a conscionable hearing. A hearing which makes the Word penetrate into the deepest parts of the man's soul. Lord, as we now approach the preaching of this Word, we do recognize, we admit, that the man before us this day is insufficient, unworthy, to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. But Lord, You speak through Your minister and You speak with authority and with power. Amen. 
Lord, we ask that you would cover the flaws and the iniquities of the minister so that he may proclaim with a voice which declares, Thus saith the Lord. We ask, Lord, that the preaching of the Word would go forth and it would be made effectual to the converting of souls and to the sanctifying of saints. We ask that the preaching would not be done with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it would be done in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Lord, let Your Word go forth and feed us this day with this Word. Let it truly be our love. Let it truly be our delight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. But when we come to consider this topic of the sacraments in general, we must do so remembering that foundation upon which all of this is built. Our principle of worship that God regulates how He is to be worshipped by His Word, that anything not expressly commanded by God to be done in worship is forbidden, must be what guides us when we now come to consider the sacraments. So much division in the church, so much uh, error and false teaching has come from a misunderstanding of the sacraments. The primary calls of division between Baptists and basically everyone else in Christianity stems from a difference of understanding concerning the sacrament of baptism. The division between the Reformed and the Lutherans pertains to the nature of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the presence of Christ in that meal. In fact, this was the one thing, the one thing that kept the Lutherans from uniting with the Reformed and Europe from having a united Protestant church. And then when you look at the Papist church or or Eastern Orthodoxy, many of their corruptions and perversions are rooted in the blasphemy and idolatry and the views uh, that they have on these sacraments. And then there are those who add various different things as uh, sacraments of the church which cannot rightly be shown from Scripture to be a sacrament. There are those who believe that the sacraments are necessary for salvation. And there are those who even believe or don't believe that there is such thing as a sacrament. 
those who don't practice or observe any sacrament in the church. With all these various views and practices and understanding on the sacraments, not everyone can be right. And a proper understanding of the regulative principle of worship would correct the errors of the various different sects of Christianity. And it would also lead to a reformation in the practice of the church towards a more biblical approach to the sacraments of the Lord. And so this morning we'll consider the theme of the sacraments in general and I pray that this will aid us in moving forward over the next several weeks in considering the sacraments in closer detail. And so we'll consider this theme by answering three questions. First, what are the sacraments? Next, who may administer the sacraments? And then finally, why are the sacraments necessary? So first, let us seek to answer the question, what are the sacraments? Our confession of faith gives us a clear definition in chapter 27. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and His benefits and to confirm our interest in Him as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to His Word. Now there's a lot here in this definition and we could spend weeks just unpacking it. But I want us to consider this definition broadly and over time the more particular aspects of the definition will be fleshed out. The sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. They are signs that point towards a greater reality. They are not the reality in themselves, but they point towards that reality. I'm sure you've all been driving down the road and you've seen the sign on the highway, that big green sign that says, Chicago. Now, no one thinks that that sign on the highway is Chicago itself. Instead, it tells you where you can find Chicago. If you make this exit here, then you can get to Chicago. The sign points you there. The sign is not Chicago itself. And this is what the sacraments do. They do not give you Christ but they point you to Christ. But that's just part of what the sacrament is. The sacraments are not simply signs, but they are seals also. Perhaps this one is not as easy for us to understand as a sign. 
In the past, when a king would put forth a royal decree, it was stamped with his royal seal, showing the people the authenticity and the surety of what was contained within it. We still have this in a small measure today. Think of the presidential seal. Or even something like what a notary public does when they stamp something. The sacraments are a seal of the covenant that Jehovah has made with you to be your God. You have been stamped, sealed with that royal seal declaring the surety of that covenant applied to you. And this language of sign and seal is taken straight from Scripture. In Romans 4.11, we read of Abraham, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being circumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. It was a sign and a seal. So the sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant of grace, and they are immediately instituted by God. When we look at the sacraments of the old covenant, of which there were two, we see that they were immediately instituted by God. In Genesis 17 and verses 10 and 11, the Lord declares, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Circumcision was the initiatory sacrament of the Old Testament church and it showed visibly that those who had received it were part of the visible covenant community. They were part of the visible church. And then in Exodus 12, we see the institution of the Passover. That covenant meal, that sacramental feast of old which is commanded by the Lord to be a sign unto them and a perpetual ordinance to be observed and this day shall be unto you for a memorial and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever just as the sacraments of old must have been immediately instituted by God Himself. The same is true of the sacraments of the New Testament church. In order for something to be considered as a sacrament of the New Testament church, it has to be shown to be something ordained by the Lord Jesus in person and its observance obligatory on the church until Christ returns. 
James Bannerman affirms this. No observance not ordained by God can properly form any part of his service, far less can any observance not instituted by him become a sign of his spiritual grace or a pledge of a blessing which it depends upon his pleasure to give or to withhold. And if this is true, then we must look to what Christ has instituted to be sacraments for the church and observe those things only. Rome says that there are seven sacraments. Baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, penance, ordination, marriage, and extreme unction. But when we examine those things according to Scripture, none but the first two have divine warrant as sacraments. Confirmation, penance, and extreme unction are found nowhere in Scripture. Much less instituted by Christ. They're not even in the Word of God. Ordination is found in the Word of God, so they got that going for them. But it's an act of the church and was instituted by Christ immediately through His apostles. And then marriage, another thing found in Scripture, it was not instituted by Christ. It was a sacrament of the New Testament church. Marriage is a creation ordinance that's given unto all people. And so it cannot be a sacrament of the church since it's common to all human societies. And then there are some churches who say foot washing is a sacrament of the church. And yet, the covenant of grace is neither signified nor sealed in the act of foot washing. And Christ Himself says that it is to be an example to His disciples of the servant heart that they are to have. It's an example, not an institution that must be observed. And so that leads us with the two sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as the sacraments of the New Testament church. In our text that we read earlier from Matthew 28 in the Great Commission and Matthew 26 in the Last Supper, Prove that Christ Himself instituted these sacraments to be signs of the covenant of grace and to be observed perpetually till He come. And so these two sacraments, they in effect replace the two sacraments of old. Circumcision was the initiatory sacrament and it was replaced by baptism which is the sacrament now that shows publicly one's interest, uh, entrance into the visible covenant community. In Passover, 
that confirmatory sacramental meal is replaced by the Lord's Supper. That confirmatory covenant meal. As circumcision and the Passover were ordinances that involved the shedding of blood symbolizing the Redeemer to come. And and since Christ has now accomplished our redemption, there is no more need for blood to be shed. And so the two bloodless signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper have to take the place of the two bloody signs of circumcision and the Passover. Even though their significance as signs of the covenant of grace remains morally the same under both dispensations. It is the same covenant of grace that is signified and sealed in circumcision and Passover as in baptism and the Lord's Supper. In this new covenant age, there are only two sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so who is it that may administer these two sacraments? This may seem like an absurd question to some of you, but this question is one that has been asked throughout church history and has been the cause of much ink being spilled. Growing up in the Baptist church, I saw any number of people administer the sacrament of baptism. Pastors, church workers, fathers, grandfathers, friends, coaches. I've seen them all enter into the baptismal and dunk whoever it was that was being baptized. However, for some reason they did not do the same for the Lord's Supper. Only the pastor was the one who administered the sacrament to the people and it was distributed by the deacons. It always seems strange to me that pretty much anyone was allowed to administer the sacrament of baptism, but only the pastor could administer the supper. But there are other churches that are more consistent in this. They would hold that the sacraments are for the people and ought to be administered by the people, and so they permit virtually anyone who wants to administer the sacrament to do so. And the papists are somewhat consistent in their regular practice of administering the sacraments. They hold that the normative practice is that the sacraments are to be administered by a priest. And yet they are inconsistent in this when they permit baptisms to be performed by laity in times of need. Because of their heretical understanding of baptism, their belief that it washes away original sin, they permit baptisms to be done by anyone in the instance where the child is likely not to live long enough to go to a priest. Oftentimes, this baptism is administered by a midwife. And then there's our position. 
The Reformed position is that the sacraments are only to be administered by one who has been ordained to the office of minister. The Confession of Faith says there are only two, uh, there be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospel, that is to say, baptism and the supper of our Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any but by a minister of the word lawfully ordained. By virtue of his office, the minister must be the one who administers the sacraments because they are the word made visible. But we are not to build our practice off of tradition. And while I love the Westminster and I uphold it, it is not our infallible rule of faith and life. Scriptures are. So what does the Scripture say? On this matter. In Matthew 28, we see that it is to the disciples, those leaders who Christ had appointed for the church, that the Great Commission was given. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's the disciples, the leaders of the church, that the Great Commission is given to. And then in Matthew 26, we see that it is to the disciples as well that the Lord's Supper was instituted and given. Now when even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the new covenant or the new testament, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. Every instance of baptism or the Lord's Supper being administered in the scriptures is clearly seen to be done by those who are given the king, the keys of the kingdom. The officers of the church who have been vested with the authority to administer the sacraments by virtue of their office. Nowhere in Scripture do you read of laymen administering the sacraments. Nowhere do you see an example of one who is not an office bearer, either an apostle, a pastor, or an evangelist administering the sacraments. And at this point is where normally the objections would begin to come in. What about the priesthood of all believers? Is that not a key reformed doctrine that we all confess? And should it not inform us 
of the role of all believers in the ministry of the church. Yes. 1 Peter 2.9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. But that does not negate the fact that there are particular offices given to the church. And not everyone who is a believer possesses the authority and the responsibilities of those offices. Only the minister of the Word is to preach the Word. Only the minister of the Word may pronounce the benediction upon the people of God. Only the minister of the Word may solemnize a Christian marriage. And only a minister of the Word may administer the sacraments. Why? Because it is given unto them the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 4.1 Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. And this is where the word sacrament comes from. The Latin word sacramentum used to translate the word mysterion. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. We're stewards of the sacraments of God. But what of Philip? Acts 6 makes it clear that Philip was ordained to the office of deacon. And yet in Acts chapter 8, he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. Is that not warrant for men who are not ministers to have the authority to baptize? Well, absolutely not. Acts 21 verse 8 refers to Philip as the evangelist. Which means that while he was originally ordained to the office of deacon, he was later ordained to that extraordinary office of evangelist. An office that comes with the authority to administer the sacraments. Friends, there is no instance in all of Scripture to show that the sacraments may be administered by one who is not lawfully, not a lawfully ordained minister of the Word. And remember the regulative principle. If it is not commanded in Scripture to be done, it is forbidden. Hebrews 5.4 says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Why would anyone want to take upon themselves the mantle of gospel ministry, this responsibility of the ministry of the Word and the duties to rightly administer the sacraments which Christ Jesus Himself instituted and to do so by His own authority without the calling of the Lord upon Him. What a great danger it is if you put yourself in that position. 
Dear saints, do not dare to seek to usurp the God-given authority that is placed upon the minister which Jehovah has ordained to this very purpose. To do so is to place yourself under the greater judgment that ministers will be judged with and to do so without any of the gifts or graces that the Lord gives His ministers. You are risking your very soul by assuming an authority which has not been given unto you. I pray that no one here is even tempted towards this. But perhaps there is something else about this fact of who may administer the sacraments which is of greater importance and concern to you. Some of you here may have been baptized by one who is not a minister lawfully ordained. Or you may have been baptized by a papist or another ungodly man. And know that there are differing opinions on this, but I hold to a distinguishing between irregular and invalid. If you have received Christian baptism, Trinitarian baptism, but it was not by a minister lawfully ordained, it is not invalid, it's irregular. And if you have concerns because the one who administered your baptism is an ungodly, wicked man, then take comfort in the fact that the efficacy of the sacrament does not depend upon the character of the man who administers it. If you've been given the sign and seal of the covenant of grace, it is yours. And finally, let us consider why the sacraments are necessary. There are a lot of false views out there about this. I've already mentioned that the papists believe that baptism washes away original sin, and so they believe it's necessary in order for one to obtain salvation. And they believe that in the supper... In the blasphemous perversion that they call the Mass, they believe that Christ is sacrificed again in a bloodless sacrifice. And that in simply going through the process of partaking of the elements, salvation is conferred. It's called ex opere operato, or out of the working it is worked. And in the churches of Christ, they hold to a baptismal regeneration. That is the act of baptism. It's in the act of baptism that one is regenerated and made new. And so they believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. I'm sure you go through all the various different sects of Christianity and find the various aberrant views that they espouse and see why they would hold that the sacraments are necessary. So what of us? 
When we say that the sacraments are necessary, what do we mean? I think it's important for to, to, to be up front and to state that we do not believe that the sacraments are necessary for salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith and not of works. Ephesians chapter 2. To add the sacrament as being necessary for salvation is to add works unto the gospel of free grace. And thus it perverts the gospel into a false one. Scripture testifies to the fact that the sacraments are not necessary for salvation. Look to the thief on the cross in Luke 23. That man came to faith in Christ as the Redeemer of mankind, and the Lord said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He was not baptized. He never sat at the Lord's table and partook of the bread and wine of the supper. There's not even any evidence that he had been circumcised or even partaken of the Passover. And yet, despite the fact that he had never partaken of the sacraments, Christ saved him to the uttermost. Well, if it's not that we believe the sacraments are necessary for salvation, then why do we say that they are necessary? Because Jehovah commands us to observe them. And to do so in a way that He has prescribed. The sacraments are necessary in the very same way that any other work of obedience is necessary in the life of a believer. We confess that it is a great sin to neglect the sacrament of baptism. Consider Exodus chapter 4 when Zipporah circumcised her son because Moses was negligent to the, uh, to the command of the Lord. And Jehovah was going to kill him because of it. We are commanded to be baptized according to Scripture and to neglect to do so is a great sin. And likewise, the command is for us to partake of the Lord's Supper. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. We are commanded to do it, to take and eat and take and drink, to do it in remembrance of Christ. The observance of the sacraments are not merely suggested things that can be done and may be beneficial to your spiritual walk. These are commands of the Lord that must be obeyed. To fail to do so is to place yourself under 
the just judgment of the Lord. When the king summons you to come and to do whatsoever he commands, you do it. We also say that the sacraments are necessary because they are an effectual means of salvation. Not that they are required for salvation or that they cause salvation, but they are an effectual means of salvation. Larger Catechism 161 says, the sacraments become effectual means of salvation not by any power in themselves or any virtue derived from the piety or intention of Him by whom they are administered, but only by the working of the Holy Ghost and the blessing of Christ by whom they are instituted. They truly are means of grace. And the Lord uses the sacraments as visible representations of the covenant promises proclaimed in the Gospel. We don't have pictures and statues and paintings of the Lord because that would violate His command that He has given us in the second commandment. But if you want to see Christ visibly, if you want to see Him put on display before you, then cast your gaze upon the sacraments because they themselves are the Word made visible. See the waters poured out in baptism signifying the washing away of your sins and the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. See the waters sprinkled upon the recipient signifying the sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon the mercy seat, purchasing the salvation of His people. See the body of our Lord broken for you in the broken bread of the table. See His blood poured out as a remission of your sins in the pouring out of the wine in the covenant meal. Are the sacraments necessary? Well, I'll answer that with another question. Is seeing Christ before you necessary? I pray we would all say yes. Brothers and sisters, I know that we have only begun to scratch the surface in regard to the sacraments. There's so much that we could have covered this morning, but we didn't, and I pray that this sermon, though much more teaching than I would normally like in a sermon, I pray that it has been edifying to your soul and that you received a taste of what is to come as we look forward in the weeks to come at these blessed sacraments that Christ Jesus has given to us as His church. Let us pray.
Father God, we come to You and we do thank You that You have given us these sensible signs and seals of the covenant of grace to make us realize and, and see more clearly what You have done for us. And so, Lord, we ask that You would even now begin preparing us to come to the Lord's table next week. And Lord, also ready our hearts to receive the instruction that You have for us regarding these sacraments as we consider them in the weeks to come. So Lord, now we ask that You would bless the remainder of our time together. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.